Good morning, and the conversation continues here on 94 WIPL Sports Radio as we ease on into a relatively warm WIP Sunday. My name's Peter Solomon, and we're going to get right to work. February 3rd, 2018. Time for the annual Children's Literacy Book Fair, brought to us by the literary. And to help us understand the fair, why it's important, hopefully get you to go. I've got several of the authors who will be there at the fair on February 3rd. Let's begin this morning already with two of them. Let's welcome Ray Anthony Shepard. Good morning, Ray Anthony Shepard. Good morning. Good morning. And Kelly Starling. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning. Welcome. And it's pleased to have you. Now I have to ask both of you, because I thought it would be interesting to talk with both of you at the same time. How'd you get into the children's book business? You're never going to get rich. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Kelly, you want to go first? Sure. So I um, have been a was a journalist for a period of time, and I was actually working for Ebony Magazine in Chicago. And one of my jobs was to choose books for the bookshelf column of the magazine. Growing up, I you know rarely saw African American children's books. The first one that I remember was Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, when I was in third grade. And as the bookshelf editor for Ebony. I started to see these beautiful children's books with kids that look like my cousins and, you know, um, with parents that look like mine on the cover and thought that maybe I could add something to that um, wealth that, that our children deserve, you know, to see their faces and their stories and their history reflected in children's books. Because it certainly is, I think, probably puzzling to a child to open up a children's book and not see anybody who looks like him or lives like him. Right. Yep, absolutely. And I, I feel that um, you know, as African-American children's book authors and illustrators, it's a, a mission and an honor to write stories where kids can see themselves and see that there's no limit to what they can be, you know, that, that, that there's, there's no ceiling to their dreams, and that's really what my... Um, calling as a children's book author is all about. And you, Ray Anthony Shepard, you have an interesting background. Unlike um, Kelly, you weren't professionally in that business. Rather, you're the grandson of a slave yourself and a former teacher. True. And also, uh, I share Kelly's sense of mission and and purpose and feel it's an honor. Uh, What I'm trying to do is to take major historical moments and show it from a black perspective um and i think of that as corrective history so i take the civil war and i show it from the perspective of two black soldiers who are also journalists and one was from georgie stevens was from philadelphia born in philadelphia uh recruited um soldiers or men from philadelphia to fight in the war and i wanted to honor him and his his uh, sacrifice. And that's important stuff, but at the same time, I would imagine you have to walk a fine line to tell the appropriate story of the Civil War and not upset or scare children. True, but the fine line is always holding to the truth and not making up quotations or not making up uh, dialogue or conversation, but showing exactly what this guy experienced, or not only him, but the 180,000 African-Americans who fought in the Civil War, 
Um, and that's something that is never taught in school. When, you, when uh, studying the Civil War, it is Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves, or the okay. Union won the war and the slaves were free. And what it fails to show is that 75% of free African-American men in the North fought in the war, and they fought without pay. Absolutely, and um, it's it's interesting that you brought Ray and I together for this conversation because one of my picture books is called Hope's Gift, and, it's, and it is set during the Civil War. And the, and the father um, runs away to try to help bring freedom to his people and comes back as a member of the U.S. Colored Troops in North Carolina. So I you know, definitely share Ray's vision for helping to fill in the gaps in history, you know, in classrooms. Sadly, kids don't learn about, you know, all of our heroes and our uh, heroes throughout history. So as children's book authors, we are also filling in the gap and giving parents and um, teachers and librarians tools they can use to empower kids to feel proud of where we've come from. Because there's so much in this life that makes kids not feel proud, isn't there? It's tough. Yeah, I mean, that there's, there's lots of images that um, kids see uh, in the media and other places that don't always reflect the lives that they know and all the positive people in their lives and you know all the wonderful things people do so it's it's great to have the opportunity to put that on the page and let let kids really see the lives that they're living and who they can become and where we've come from you know all the strength that we have and the resilience and the brilliance that has led us, us to who we are now Kelly what's the title of your book anyway um, the one that I just mentioned is called Hope's Gift. That's a picture book set during the Civil War, and a father gives his daughter a conch shell, and that sound is, is uh, a reminder of the sound of freedom that's coming, and she's waiting for um, you know, freedom to come. And as Ray says, there's this false narrative that President Lincoln, in one fell swoop, freed all enslaved people, and it was a process. And... Uh, and slave people fought for their own freedom as scouts and as spies and as uh, Civil War soldiers. Um, my most recent books are chapter books, though. It's realistic fiction, and it's Jada Jones' Rock Star and Jada Jones' Class Act. And Jada Jones is a fourth grader who loves science. She collects rocks. She loves her family and friends. And the story begins when her best friend moves to Arizona. Okay. Now, Ray Shepard, what's your book? It's called, the title is Now or Never, the 54th Massachusetts Infantry War to End Slavery. Now, question for yeah. both, question for yes, both of you. Um, why pack your suitcase and come to Philadelphia for the fair? <laughs> well, uh, well I, uh, Ray, did you want to start or do you want me to? I will just say, I'll, I will go anywhere to tell the story of the 54th that tell the story of uh, a black achievement. Um, I think so often books portray African-Americans as victims rather than the resilience and the perseverance that uh, in history that people, these history makers have, uh, have achieved. And I want to tell that story and also um, the, the, the Children's Book Fair in Philadelphia is the 26th year. It is well, well known. It is a icon of uh, 
for African-American authors and illustrators, and I'm honored to be part of it. And for both of you, I have something of a surprise. We've got on the line as well the founder and director of the Children's Book Fair, the inimitable Vanessa Lloyd Scambati. Good morning, Vanessa. Good morning, Peter. And I've been listening to these two fabulous authors who are going to bring their work to Philadelphia. And one thing that's real important for people to know is that in these days and times, as you mentioned, it's kind of turbulent. And there's all kind of chatter on TV and newspapers, radio, and on the Internet. It is important for all children, not African-American children, but all children, to know about other people's culture and history. Absolutely. Because we are a tapestry, and every thread in that tapestry has something to contribute to make this country great. And the more I know, you know, the wonderful thing about doing this book fair for me is I've learned so much about my history. Ray's um, a story, Kelly's hopes, a gift. All of these are stories that have opened my eyes to my culture, to my past. And I shared that with my granddaughter, Juliana Isabella. I had to throw that in, Peter. Okay. I'm a new grandmother. Congratulations, Granny. <laughs> no, they call me Lola. I okay. didn't want to be called Grandma, so I looked through uh, a, a language dictionary for the word grandmother, and the Filipino word for grandmother is Lola, and it goes with my personality. Absolutely. Now, Vanessa, 26 years, why do you keep doing this thing? There is a need, and every year that I do this, I see a greater need. For, for one thing, Ray and Kelly and E.B. Lewis, Floyd Cooper, Jason Reynolds, who's one of the stars of the children's book industry, very rarely come to Philadelphia. And their books are not, in most cases, you can't find a lot of them on a regular basis in bookstores. So these are important stories to share with the community. So that's why I continue to do this. They call me the book Zarina. I like to say I'm a connector. I connect the consumers with the authors and illustrators. And we have 30 people participating this year, Peter. We have the best and the brightest. And we have historical stories. We have fun stories. It's just a really wonderful opportunity to meet these great people. And on top of that, we have a literary row where we give away promotional items. If you're an educator, you can get free books your classroom with some of the guest authors and illustrators. We have a reading circle. And, of course, you get to spend the afternoon networking with the authors and illustrators. Now, this thing is happening February 3rd, next Saturday. What time, Vanessa? It happens February the 3rd. That's a Saturday, 1 to 4 p.m., Community College of Philadelphia, 17th and Spring Garden, in the gym. Even if it rain, um, snows the day before... We will be open Saturday, so don't think because it snowed that we're not going to be open because people like Ke Kelly and Ray will be in the house that morning. So please come out and share their stories and the excitement because what we're doing is helping and educating children about the joy of reading. Good parking, good public transportation, certainly. Vanessa, if people want more information, what do you want them to do? They can go to our website, the African American Children's Book Project.org or they can call 215-878-BOOK. And I encourage all children, parents, caregivers, educators, to come out and celebrate these wonderful authors and illustrators. And Pico has a literary salon, and they'll be doing some fun things with kids in the different activities and interacting with authors. 
So please come out, and of course, Wells Fargo always holds down for the teachers and educators uh, to give them books through their Read by Fourth program. And I'd like to say thank you to the guests this morning so far, Kelly Starling Lyons and Ray Anthony Shepard, for the work you do in writing and for taking the time and the concern to get on the thank bus or get in the car and come to Philadelphia to share what you do at the African American Children's Book Fair there, February 3rd, next Saturday, 1 to 4 p.m., Community College. Thank you both. Thank you. Now, Vanessa, you stay with me. I've got to run a few commercials. But when we come back, we're going to be talking with two more of your authors, James Gordon and G. Todd Taylor. All this and more coming up here on WIP, WIP Sunday. We'll be back in just a bit. And we're back. It's WIP Sunday. My name's Peter Solomon, and we're celebrating the fact that the African American Children's Book Fair is upon us. Saturday, February 3rd, 1 to 4 p.m. With me is Vanessa Lloyd Scambati, the founder and director of the book fair, and two of her distinguished authors. Now, let me say good morning to my guests, James Gordon and G. Todd Taylor. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Now, I have to ask you something and for your opinion. We know who John Grisham is. We know who James Patterson is. They're leading lights in the publishing industry. But we don't really know who you guys are. And you guys write just as well as they do. Is that fair? Uh, well, first, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Go, you go first. All right, well, first, um, I'm an illustrator, and there are more famous illustrators. But, um, you know, I think it just, you know, sometimes it just comes down to being in the right place at the right time. I work hard. I practice my craft. Maybe that'll come. Maybe that won't. But um, I'm happy either way. I, I agree. I, it's the same way with me. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're really working hard. We're trying to, to get our um, information and our craft out there, and it just takes a little time. So uh, we're being patient right now. Well, but it seems a little bit like a case of Rodney Dangerfield. Can't get no respect for children's books. <laughs> I, 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 can, I can definitely see that. Um, you know, my, it's funny. When I first started, I, I always said I wanted to be the, the black Dr. Seuss. So I don't I don't even really compare myself to um, people like John Grisham. I, I just want to be that Dr. Seuss one day, and 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 be able to have that kind of uh, recognition uh, when it comes to uh, getting out the information for kids' books. And that's that that though would put you up in the high, the pantheon of book stars, and I hope that happens. For the, you. I, I pray it happens. <laughs> All right. Yeah. James, and um. Go ahead. Go ahead. And as an illustrator, I just feel like um, I just try to put out the best work I possibly can, expose children to good art, and really try to complement the, the text that I get from the writers. Now, um, Mr. Taylor, Todd Taylor. Yes, sir. Um, how do you decide what you're going to illustrate? How do they come to you? Well, I, well I'm, I'm, I'm actually... Um, the the author I don't I don't do any illustrations my my drawings are horrible uh, you can just ask my daughter <laughs> she will definitely confirm that you, one of my my biggest motivations for writing is 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 you know with, when it comes down to African American uh, children's books it's just not a lot out there um, especially those books that that will affirm uh, our children's history so my goal is always to try to find books find materials that that could put out 
um, a counter narrative to what they've seen um, in, in, in media and try to put out information that, that really builds our children up. So um, I, I'm always just thinking about our children and, and, and how we can make their experience better than it was when I was young. Okay, but what's the title of your book? Uh, I have actually three books out now, working on my fourth. I have uh, Dad, Who Will I Be?, uh, which is the African-American children's book that, that focuses on building up our young men um, and, and affirming what they can be in life. I have another book called Daddy's Little Princess, which we try to feature um, African-American princesses. So you know, it's, and instead of talking about Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty, we talk about uh, amazing queens like Queen Nzinga, um, and so, and then I also have another book called I Don't See Color, which um, really, I, I take, I, I really take uh, uh, aim at that phrase, I don't see color. And we try to make sure that we are telling our children that they can be amazing and they are beautiful in their own skin. Um, and, and not that we shouldn't overlook their color, but we should try to celebrate um, the beautiful skin that all of our children are in. Do you get any say that one who illustrates your book? Well, so far, yes, I've I've, I've picked um, illustrators. My, my my primary illustrator is a young lady from uh, Elizabeth City State University, which happens to be my alma mater. Her name is Delana Robbins. So I, I've been able to select um, and work very closely with my illustrators up to this point. The reason I ask is one thing that I've been taught about illustrations, especially for children's books, is if the art looks like something you want to put on your wall in the living room, then it's good illustration. If it doesn't, pass it by. What do you think? I, you know, you know, I, I I have really tried to step back and look at what our kids are looking at right now. So when I talk to my um, illustrator, she's an amazing artist. But what one of the things I've always tried to look at is what is appealing to the kids today, because the most important thing to me is is will my the kids come by my booth where they come by the stand, where they look by the bookshelf and pick up the books that we're um, that I'm writing. And so um, when I always kind of give my illustrator the, the, the guide of just let's look at what, we're, what our children are looking at because the most important thing for me is, is the message getting to them. So, um, you know, I, I, again, I'm not the artist, so I try to try to guide her to, to finding the best pictures, the best illustrations that will will get our children to walk by the booth, grab the book off the shelf, and look into it. All right. Now, Mr. Gordon, James Gordon, tell me about your yeah. book. Tell me about the book you're uh, illustrating. Okay, so um, uh, also I'm Gordon C. James, and uh, everybody gets my name backwards Sorry. forever. Thank you to my parents. Um, and uh, they, the book that I illustrate is called Crown and Ode to the Fresh Cut. And it is a story about a young man who has gotten a haircut, and it's about how that haircut makes him feel. It's very uplifting. It's very affirming. And um, it talks about the, the confidence he's going to have. Like, he's going to have a great day at school. You know, the, the young lady that a young lady might be interested in him. His, his mother is going to feel good about him. And, and he is just going to be ready for the world. And it talks about all the things that go on in the barbershop. How, though, do you focus on what to illustrate, how to draw it? Where do the ideas come well, from? Well, I think the, uh, the great thing about this text is that it is a, it, you know, tells a story. So there are things that are definitely happening in the story that I can just 
it will stay straightforward. I could be very literal. There are other things that are going on in his imagination that I have to decide how to communicate. And and that's fun, too, to go at it from both angles. Absolutely. And why are you coming to Philadelphia? Uh, I'm coming to Philadelphia actually because I've never been to a book festival before. I also do fine artwork, and so I spend a lot of time doing my own paintings and a lot of time doing um, uh, more personal projects. But you were talking about books not getting success and not getting respect. Well, Crown has gotten an awful lot of respect. we got several star reviews. We're on over 20 best of lists. We've won major awards, including a uh, gold medal from the Society of Illustrators for the illustration. So the book is just doing very well, and it has really made my illustration career take off. So I'm here to meet people and make connections and, and to meet the kids and have a lot of fun. You know, Peter, this is Vanessa. Um, Gordon should tell the story of how this book got published because it has won um, some major awards as well as the book is like the American Library Association has and teachers have embraced it. But the publishing industry didn't immediately gravitate towards this book. So, Gordon, tell them um, how many places and the story of this book getting published. I'm not sure exactly how many places uh, Derek Barnes, the author, went to, went, through with the, went to with the manuscript, but it was several. And on top of that, I wasn't the first illustrator that was asked to do the project. So for one reason or another, I don't know if it, if it, if it fit people's view of um, what our, our people, our kids should be, or because the child on the cover of the book, he's not smiling. He is very confident. There, there's something very different about this book. And um, so we went with the Neen Milner books. And she's a, she's a newer publisher. She's got some awesome writing herself. And uh, it has just turned out to be a, a really huge project. And I, be, I truly believe that the book is a classic, and that's just not me. That's not just me saying that. And the illustrations in the book are of your son, correct? The uh, main character in the book is the author's son. And uh, the barber in the book, that the person that plays the barber in the book, is my son's barber. And where Heads Up Barbershop, which you can see on the cover, if you go by the book, the cover, um, is my son's barber. And so that's the interior. That's exactly how Heads Up Barbershop looks. It's a real barbershop here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, it helps to add to the authenticity of the book. Absolutely. Um, and that's real important. Again, if you don't want to put it on your living room wall, it's probably not good enough. At least that's my opinion. And this Thank you. I think that I really do try to work hard, and I try to make the illustrations in my book feel like the paintings that I do for myself, because I believe that children deserve top quality, kind of sophisticated artwork. I believe they can handle it. And Vanessa, question for you. What was there about the work of Gordon James and G. Todd Taylor that allowed you to invite them to the fair? Can you repeat the question again, yeah. Peter? What was it about the work of Mr. James and Mr. Taylor it had you invite them to the fair. Well, I'm looking for quality. I'm looking for quality from from soup to nuts. Does do the illustrations pop? Do they engage the reader? The content, the bonding, all of those things are important to me because when you walk out of my book fair with a book, I want it to be a book that you will have forever and a day. 
something that you can pass on. And that's an interesting fact about this book fair. I now have adults bringing their children, and they used to attend the book fair. Gordon and Gordon's book that he illustrated, Derek Barnes wrote the, the text. In fact, the person who is responsible for their imprint for the publishing house is the ghostwriter on Steve Harvey's books. But And she's also written some teen books, so she was willing to take a chance because the book does not look like a traditional children's book. But what she has done, what they've done, is to open the pages and life of this barbershop. And when you read it, you just want to, I don't care who you are, what race, what creed, when you read that book, you feel like you're experiencing what that young man has every single week or every month going to, to the barbershop. The Garrett, uh, G. Todd Taylor, his books are, are wonderful because they're perfect for a certain age group. And that's what we do at the book fair. We have a book fair for preschool to young adult. I would, well, infancy, because whatever you need in the book area for your children, we've got it at the book fair. And another exceptional thing about this book fair is that we have probably, of the 30 authors and illustrators, I would easily imagine they've won collectively over a 1,000 awards. These are people who win the Caldecott's Honors, Newberry Honors, Coretta Scott King, and a host of other awards. And already Crowns has bumping out the, the door with all of these awards. And I would imagine, so folks, you hear it first, that there's going to be a major American Library Association award. So you need to come out and get that book, get it autographed, because both the author and the illustrator, that's another exceptional thing about this book fair. There will be a lot of both author and illustrators of a particular book. This is rare, very, very rare, because usually if you go, unless it's a trade event, if you go to a traditional book fair, you won't find both people there. So you come out and you celebrate these beautiful books, and they also educate you. That's the other part of what's happening with this book fair. It's about educating you about a people, a culture, a history that is part of American history. Absolutely, and I know the book I the books I had as a child still are important to me today, and there was nothing greater pleasure I had as a parent in giving my children one of the books I had when I was a little kid myself. Um, one more time, Vanessa. The fair is this coming Saturday. What time? Saturday, February the 3rd, from 1 to 4 p.m. It is a free event. All you have to do is show up. There's a line, but that line moves so fast. And then when you go through the line, the first 500 children will get a free book of one of the guest authors or illustrators. We have promotional items, posters, bookmarkers, free. For those parents and educators who want to know what's out there in the marketplace. I have some of the latest catalogs from the major publishers. Corporate sponsors are giving away books to educators. Please, please bring your IDs. Metro PCS, Pico's doing a literary salon, Wells Fargo, Always Best Care, and my good friends, uh, Angela uh, Rouse over at uh, AARP. Yes, AARP will be in the house celebrating African-American children's books from 1 to 4 p.m. And, of course, the wonderful African-American authors and illustrators, 30 people. And I want to remind people there aren't possibly a lot of books 
accessible African-American books here in the marketplace. But in the industry, some of the best books of our generation are being published by African-Americans on African-American topics. And I have never seen in this year, this past year, it was like going into a candy store for me, Peter. Every time a book would come in, I would get excited. It was like one after another. And I'm a judge for the NAACP Image Awards for the children's books. And I saw easily 50 books that I could have brought the people into Philadelphia. And I'd like to say thank you to this morning's guest, Gordon James and G. Todd Taylor, for joining us this morning here on WIP Sunday. Thank you both. And if you go to the fair this Sunday, Saturday, 1 to 4 Community College, good parking, good public transportation, tell them you heard it here on 94 WIP. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And the WIP time is 7.36. We'll be right back after these messages. And we're back. It's WIP Sunday. My name's Peter Solomon. And there's an old Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. And my next guest certainly has an antidote for living in interesting times, no matter what your political persuasion. Let me say good morning to Gordon Whitman, author of Stand Up, How to Get Involved, Speak Out, and Win in a World on Fire. Good Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Gordon. What led you to write the book? So, you know, I think all of us at different points see stuff that's wrong. It could be in the news or it could be where we work or neighborhood or kids' school. And we're not sure what what we can do about it. You know, can something be done? Do I have anything to, to you know, could I, could I make a difference? Um, and then, you know, when people do get involved in, in, in speaking out, standing up, saying, you know, this needs to change, a lot of times they get pushed back, you know, shut up, just, you know, keep it to yourself. Or with a, um, uh, talking to a woman this, this um, weekend in Tennessee who's telling about um, getting shorted her wages. And um, you speak out, say, you know, you didn't pay me my full um, pay for the, the hours I worked. You lose your job. So how do you make that decision? And then if you do, you're, you're going to get pushback. So I wanted to write a book that would motivate people to stand up, speak out, um, and realize they have more power than they think. Well, there's two ways, though, I think, to look at the question of stand up, speak out. One is, um, let's take the example of immigration. There are people who say immigration should be unfettered. We should let folks in. There shouldn't be those restrictions that the Trump administration is putting out there. And there are other people who think immigration should be stopped. Donald Trump is right. Does your book take a perspective on those kinds of issues? Yeah, listen, you know, my family came as immigrants. I think almost everyone listening to this show at some point in time, their families were immigrants, either forced or, um, or voluntary. And um, the reality is that most um, immigrants in this country that don't have legal status live in families where they're citizens, where they're people with legal status. So we're talking about families in Philadelphia and across the country um, who've been here for a long time. And I think when you're talking about that, um, we need to you know, keep the traditions of this country and, and make it possible for people to stay and work. No one's saying that the border should just be opened and people should, should cross it at will. So I think there's a lot of distortion in this, and the, the reality is that, um, you know, th- th- these are, you know, we're talking about neighbors, friends, coworkers, and I think what happens is, and it happens over and over, is that people get blamed um, 
for problems that have nothing to do with them, and, and, we, and, and there's efforts to divide us. And the challenges facing our country have to do with the concentration of wealth and um, shipping jobs overseas and um, making our politics you know, really just like dominated by money and not, not people's voices. So those are the real problems, and I think we're scapegoating immigrants who are you know, in our community and, and contributing. Then there's the Me Too movement. How does your book think of something like that? Well, I think it's been remarkable if you think all the way back to the Women's March a year ago and um, the number of people who looked at what's happening in the country and said, I, I need to get more involved. Um, and, and I think it's, 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 um, it's really interesting, I think important, that not only was that you know protests and marches, but it's um, translated into a lot of energy of people being willing to say, I'm going to tell my story. And really all social change, whether it's... Um, you know, in your local community or at your workplace or we're seeing across the country women saying, you know, I'm going to tell my story. Um, it, it is a willingness to say uh, I'm not afraid to speak out. And, and you can see the change that happens as a result. Well, certainly the Me Too movement is an extraordinary thing. And what I think is even more extraordinary is now men are starting to tell their story as well. We're hearing from male models and such. Well, I think the key thing is that we all have a story. And, and we all, um, and it's unique and it matters. And um, and what we want to do, and I talk about building better organizations. Is you know people go to meetings, they get involved in things, and sometimes they feel like that that's a good organization, that's a good meeting, or you know I feel like I was wasting my time, um, or it just didn't like really. Um, I feel like you know some of us tell me what to do. So really talking about building organizations, whether they're community organizations or on an issue um, that are, um, that give people a chance to tell their story that, that where you really feel like you're, um, you have a chance to make a difference and, and you're not being manipulated or, or pushed around. Do you use specific examples in the book? Yeah, you know, you know, Philadelphia, I, I, I lived and worked in Philadelphia for many years and there's a lot of Philadelphia stories in this book. Um, I talk about working with parents at public schools in in North Philadelphia who were um, coming together to improve those schools and what was possible when people um, were willing to, you know, build trust between themselves as a starting point and parents building um, trust with teachers and really coming together to push for changes in the schools. But it, it wasn't always a picnic, so sometimes the school would react in a positive way and say, come on in and we'll, we'll work to raise the reading levels or figure out how to um, make sure that the, the teaching was working for the kids in the school. And other times we'd get a lot of pushback. So um, there's lots of stories about that. And, and Philadelphia's got a great organization. It's a lot of good neighborhood organizations. And uh, the network I work for called Faith in Action, our local affiliate is Power, which is great, um, really one of the best grassroots um, community organizing groups in the country and powers led campaigns to raise wages at the airport for airport workers, um, a big effort to make the state school funding formula more fair and equitable, um, both racially and, 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 and economically. Um, so th- there's some really good opportunities in Philadelphia for people to get more involved. How do you want people to use the book? Well, you know, I really want people to say, um, I have a role to play, and then to look for um, concrete ways to get more involved. 
So if you're involved now, take greater leadership. If you aren't but you're frustrated about something, go to a meeting sometime over the next month. So I, I don't think we, we, we solve the big problems facing our country, whether it's racism or inequality or climate change or, or things closer to home, like how do I make sure my kid has a good education, by expecting someone else to do the work. Like we ha we're citizens, whatever our legal status is, we're citizens and we have a role to play in making change. And it, it's, it's not going to, no one's going to save us from the, the challenges we face. Well, but many people would say, okay, I, yeah, it's a mess, but someone else is going to do it. Someone else is going to be at that meeting. Why do I have to go? Yeah, I mean, that's always the, that, that's always the, well, someone else will do it. But it turns out that um, it just takes a lot of people to make change. And if we don't, then it's usually a small number of people who have a lot of money who control what happens in our lives and in our communities. And often what they're telling us is, well, you know, you really can't fight City Hall. You don't make waves. But it's usually the people who are controlling, you know, take Philadelphia, the ability to basically buy influence over city council, the mayor, the governor. Um, those are a small number of very wealthy people and large corporations. If we don't get involved, then we're basically handing over our lives and our communities, the future of our kids, to people who, you know, good or bad, don't have the same interests. Well, I think you can recall an old saying, I think maybe it was from the Kennedy years, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I, I tell an old story um, from 1999 when, um, when uh, Ed Rendell's term had ended and, you know, a lot of investment in Center City, but the neighborhoods are really struggling. Um, and we, we did a big campaign called Neighborhood First, Neighborhoods First to try to push the city to be more balanced in its development. And um, at the time, people may remember this, there were probably 200,000 abandoned cars on the streets of Philadelphia. And we really wanted to get it blight and housing and investment, but the cars were such a irritant to people. And we ran a campaign that really forced the candidates for mayor to say, you know, you, how are you going to respond to this? We put stickers on cars that said, the next mayor of Philadelphia will decide how long this car sits on your street, but you'll decide how long, who gets to be ne the next mayor. And I think that willingness to really hold people, candidates, elected officials accountable and not just complain is, is really the, 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 the challenge that the book, put, that Stand Up puts out there for people. And one thing I like about the book is it's very accessible. You don't have to have a Ph.D. in sociology or community organizing to make it work. Yeah, it's really written for, uh, you know, I, I, I was just in a bookstore and I have it in the self-help section. So it's really meant to be a book that's like you have a voice and here's practically how to get involved and here's how to create better organizations. Here's how to create organizations that can bring people together across race and class and difference, whatever difference is because we're not talking to each other enough. And um, when we do talk to each other, there's, there's a lot more that we share in common, and there's no way we move forward on the issues that are most important and create a better future if people aren't talking to each other and not just shouting at each other. What's the next book, Gordon Whitman? Well, I, I think maybe how to live a balanced life and um, make change without... Um, burning yourself out. I've, I've thought about that one. Because that certainly can happen as well. Yeah, and I, I think that um, 
especially right now. You know, there's just so much going on. Um, it's easy to get, you know, overwhelmed. And I think people look at what, what's happening and, and, and it, it can freeze people. And, you know, part of the point of the book is that the best way to start off in is, is local. And you need a team of people. You need to be part of a team. One of the things I like about how power is organized is that all across the city and the region, there are teams of people who meet every two, three weeks and they're working on local issues in their own community, but they're connected up into a larger organization. And I think people can't do this alone. So it, it doesn't have to be, you know, like the movies where you have to be the person who steps forward and solves every problem. But finding a team of people who meet on a regular basis can't happen online only. You know, signing a petition is fine, but or, you know, writing, writing a, a, an email to, to an elected official, that's great. But people need to be face-to-face. That's how, that's how people make change and, and change happens. Absolutely. And I think it was Tip O'Neill, who used to be Speaker of the House, who said all politics is local. And politics is what motivates change, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because um, there's been, you know, there are a lot of protests and marches and, and the number of people participating and protests and marches hasn't gone down um, since the 60s. It's pretty much been pretty consistent. But the number of people doing political work, running for office, and by the way, that, that is one thing that um, people should do. Don't just think that someone who's wealthy can run for office, whether it's um, school board or city council or um, this local, you know, on, on the, the PTA, that people, um, you know, just stepping forward and saying, I'm going to run for office, um, super important. Um, so there, there's just a lot of ways people can, can step forward and, and get involved and not just depend on someone else to do it. If you want to make change, be a part of the solution. And I'd like to say thank you to Gordon Whitman, author of Stand Up, How to Get Involved, Speak Out, and Win in a World on Fire. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Gordon. And you've been listening to WIP Sunday here on 94 WIP. Stay tuned for Sports Talk with Sunny Hill. Always interesting and provocative discussion in the living room. Your opinions, Sunny's reactions, I know I'll be listening, especially as the Super Bowl approaches. Go birds fly. Thank you to this morning's producer, Phil Jackson. And Ann Tideman Solomon, my dear wife and associate producer, couldn't do the show without you. Nothing left to say, but see you soon.